let's hear God's word for us today. The scripture we're going to learn from this morning. Today we have a few different passages for the same chapter. Read along as I read them out loud. We will be reading 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, verses 8 through 11, 32 and 33, and then 45 through 50. Let's begin. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for a battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I will overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go out and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching in his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. This is a word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm lead pastor here. If, if we haven't met or if I don't know you, if you're watching online, thanks for joining in. If you're watching at another time, hope you're having a great summer. Uh, this is a... Uh, Connor just said that it's, it's still July, and I'm, I'm really glad for that. I'm glad that it's still summer. It seems to be going really, really fast. Um, I, I do need to tell you, I, uh, I heard from a friend, some of you may know, um, we had a, uh, a really a, just a key gift uh, to our church, uh, um, served in a lot of different ways. He was a board member and recently moved away. We celebrated him a number of weeks ago, and uh, he and I and another guy used to meet on Tuesdays. We did for about a year or year and a half. Uh, every Tuesday morning at seven, uh, we would we would come into this building and we would we would pray, pray for each other, pray for our church. And uh, Howard moved away about a month ago or so, and uh, texted me on uh, Thursday, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, uh, and said something along the lines of, uh, "Are my eyes deceiving me?" Um, and I was like, "I I don't know. 
look in the mirror. I mean, I like, what are you talking about? And he wrote, he said, did we now get permission to park in the parking lot next, next to the building? And um, you don't know this, very few people know this, but every Tuesday, we would meet at 7. Howard would show up at like 6.30 or 6.45. Um, I don't get his prime parking place, I guess. But when I would come at like 6.59 or 7 on the nose, um, he would be walking in the parking lot over there just praying for people he saw who might be sleeping there, uh, praying for businesses in our neighborhood, praying for our church, but praying specifically for the parking lot. And then he moved away. Uh, and a month later, God gave us the parking lot. So I just want to say thank you to him and to others that have been praying. It might seem like a silly little thing, um, but it is just a, a help. And, and I shared this last week. Um, I do think this is more than just space and convenience. Um, I do think that um, God is working in a new way. And all of the people that have helped make calls to, gosh, we called Bank of America and on higher up into, you know, kind of uh, management and ownership of the property and city stuff and all these things and nothing worked. And so something changed. And I don't think that that's just a human thing or the right person asked. I do think God um, decided to give us that for this time. And so we're, we're grateful for that. But uh, if you know or, or see Howard, uh, uh, pat him on the back, say thanks. Uh, tell him he can still see just fine. And thank you for praying. Um, that'd be great. Um, also, there are, uh, we, we just clapped for this a moment ago, but um, Connor has been involved, as he just shared, with, with three other churches uh, close by who are, are doing this camp together. Um, and I was just sitting there realizing that leading a youth ministry uh, that's reaching uh, teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, uh, in the urban core of really any city, but it's certainly true of, of ours, uh, to have an opportunity to be in relationship and invest in the lives of students and teenagers is such a key thing. And to have this event happening and to be partnering with other churches, it's really, really significant. It's about two, two weeks away, uh, and then they'll be gone for about five days and back. And so would you just be praying uh, for that? And if you don't have a high schooler, um, maybe find a high schooler, encourage them to go. If you do have a high schooler um, and I haven't considered sending them yet, um, maybe just surprise them and say, hey, you're going, and then, and then send them. But it's going to be a great time. We're trusting God will work. So, hey, uh, let's pray together, and then we're going to look at this story that Lisa just read for us. So let's pray together. God, as we have done already and are, are glad to do, to be able to sing to you and to, to sing things are true of you and to hear others' voices and to be gathered together in worship and to declare that you are working and that you are alive and that you are good and that you are powerful, that you see us, that you love us, that you are the God that we need and there is none other like you, that you alone are worthy. Would you give us a vision for who you are how much you love us and what you want to do in us and in this world this time. Holy Spirit, would you be active and moving right now as we're here, whether we're distracted and divided and our mind is going in a lot of different directions or if we are ready and attentive and anticipating hearing from you. Holy Spirit, would you powerfully work right now among us and inside of us? Would you take our hearts and make them alive? Would you soften them so that it can be directed and healed and comforted and convicted by you? And Jesus, as we read your word, as we read your stories, would we hear more of your voice in our life right now? No one else's voice. Would we hear your voice and would you direct us and guide us, teach us, correct us, lead us, 
We want to be more like you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. Would you use this time right now as we look into your word? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If you take Jesus and we kind of just kind of set him, maybe not aside, but above everything, and just kind of set him there for a moment, his birth, his, his resurrection, so Christmas and Good Friday, and then uh, or Easter, and then his death, Good Friday. If you take those three kind of events or stories and just set them above everything else, and then we're to ask, what are, the, what are the few, what are the top ten, what are the top five, what are the top two stories in all of Scripture that are known or familiar or retold? The story of David and Goliath has to be up there. I think it's within one and two. I think there's Noah's Ark and, and David and Goliath. And that's not for people who are familiar with Scripture or would find themselves maybe in a church building on Sunday morning or who would listen uh, to a church teaching or a podcast or anything like that. I'm just like in the world today, in our nation today, even in Portland today, the stories that people know that maybe they don't even know it's from the Bible, but the stories that are known is Noah and the Ark and David and Goliath. I think, I think those are kind of top two. Maybe you've got another one in there that might compete. But the story of David and Goliath is most of the most, one of the most well-known, retold, familiar stories. Last week, if you were here, a friend of mine, uh, Avery, who pastors a church on the west side called Common Ground, uh, he, he spoke, did a phenomenal job. But one of the things that he pointed out, if you were here, was that uh, we don't know very many uh, girls that are named at birth Jezebel. And the reason is, is because the story of Jezebel is so dark and deceitful and, and evil that, you know, we just don't know. And, and, and you remember that friend that you had when you were in preschool named Goliath? I mean, neither. We don't, I mean, Goliath is kind of like that. It's like, you know, maybe somebody would take that on as a nickname at some point, and that kind of helps them and gives them a sense of pride and power or something like that. But Goliath is kind of the same way. It's, it, it's no, nobody wants to be a, a Goliath. Nobody wants to be named Goliath. No, I don't know anybody. I mean, we name like pets Goliath, but not necessarily people. David and Goliath is this story that is so well known and retold, and people know the name Goliath. David, obviously, is a common name. It's a retold story. What I want to do today is take this really familiar story that I'm going to guess almost every single one of us has heard in here. It wouldn't be a stretch to say every single person has heard of this story. Maybe you aren't familiar with all the details, but you've heard of this story. And I want to, I actually want to tell it three times. I want to tell it at the time that is kind of most commonly told, how it's recounted most often. And then I want us to look at the passage that we just heard read, and I want us to look through how the Bible records it. And then I want to tell it a third time in somebody else's voice. So the first time is, how is it most commonly told? David and Goliath, again, we're all, we're all familiar with it. It's a big bad guy, um, really big, tall, uh, giant, and he's a bully. And he's powerful and strong and bigger than everybody else. And he and his bully friends come and they want to fight some good people. And the good people are really, really scared because they're smaller and uh, David, I mean, and Goliath is, is really big. So you got a bully on one side and some good people on the other. And the good people are scared and Goliath is challenging them and nobody wants to step forward and fight them. And then kind of a, a young guy shows up, a, a kid shows up, David, or maybe you even call him Davy. And uh, David shows up and he's smaller than everybody else. And he says, why aren't you guys fighting them? And they're like, well, look at him. He's a giant. And he goes, nope, I can fight him. And so Saul, the king, who is scared along with everybody else and hiding in his tent, he says, okay, great, we've got somebody who wants to fight him. It doesn't matter that he's small. 
come here, um, I'll give you my equipment, my armor, and you'll put it on and then you'll go out and fight him and somehow maybe you'll win and we'll be out of this situation. And so David goes into the tent and he puts on the helmet and it falls over his eyes and he puts on like the, the chest piece and it kind of drops down to the floor and he pulls on the boots and they go up mid-thigh and then he's got the sword. And he, and he can't even lift it up because it's the king's sword and it's so heavy and David is just a small guy and so he can't pick up the sword even. He goes, nope, this doesn't work for me. It's too big. He takes it off. And he stops by a stream on the way out to the battlefield and picks up a couple rocks and he's got a slingshot and he goes out there and Goliath doesn't even pay attention to him. He still yells at the good people and David says, no, pay attention to me. We're going to fight. And, and Goliath kind of takes him by the, by the head and just kind of goes like this and goes, get away. Send me out somebody really to fight and maybe even David throws a couple punches but Goliath doesn't even know. And then he goes, okay, if you really want to fight and he takes out his javelin and he's about to run David through and David takes out his slingshot and goes, bing, and hits him right in the one place that the helmet doesn't cover, and it, and it hits him in the forehead and knocks him out, and he, Goliath falls over dead. And what we can tell from this story is that even in the times that we are most fearful, and there's giant fears in our life, we can overcome them. We can muster the courage. We can say God's name and fight on behalf of God's army. And we can go out and conquer. And by faith and with enough courage, we can conquer the biggest giants that there are out there. I have this vague uh, memory of, and I looked it up this week. I don't think we have a picture of it, but um, I looked up this week this, this memory, and I couldn't even remember the name of it, but I went searching and I found it. And it's this old claymation video series that was made way back in the 60s called Davy and Goliath. Davy and Goliath is his claymation series. And I think it's actually made by uh, the, the Lutheran Church in America way, way back when. And um, I saw it at some point in my childhood. And it's about this little character. <laughs> character. And uh, um, I, 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 I found a, some pictures of it online. And it, it actually looks like... Uh, like the character from Toy Story, Woody, as a kid. So if you just take Woody and shrink him down to a kid and put overalls on him, um, that was Davy, and then Goliath was his dog. And it was a really sweet series. It was, they would encounter things that were challenging and fearful, and um, he would muster the courage, and they would overcome it. Goliath, obviously, is a pet and not very big and, and good in the story, but Davy was this little kind of pure-hearted kid that, you know, overcame his, his fears and had, had courage. That's kind of the common story as it's told. In fact, it's actually captured by um, just kind of wider culture, an author named Malcolm Gladwell who's produced a bunch of books and uh, is a really fascinating speaker. He's got a popular podcast and writes, and primarily he's kind of writes for um, corporate settings and larger, but he's become a popular uh, author as well, but writes for how to approach, uh, you know, kind of challenges in life and how life works and how to um, get ahead in some, largely in business and leadership context. And he's written a book called David and Goliath, and it's, it's about conquering overwhelming odds, about conquering giants in, in life. And when we hear the story of David and Goliath, that's kind of what we glean from it and we take from it. And there are some truths in that. There are good things in that. We, um, as people who are following Jesus, uh, should have faith. And we know that there are fears. We all deal with fear in our life and it takes courage to combat fear. And so there's some truth in that and that's good. But I wonder if we can take just that common retelling of the story of David and Goliath and set it aside for a minute and actually walk through what the Bible actually records about the story and just compare it a little bit. And 
So if we can tell the story again a second time, it starts in chapter 17 of Samuel, the first book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it starts with the Philistines. And so it's got these people, the Philistines, that have showed up in the Israelites' land, and Saul is the new king, and he's leading uh, the Israelite people, and they're learning how to be a people that have a human king. It's the first king, and the Philistines show up, and they're on the, they're on the shores initially. They come from across the water. They're a seafaring people. Some people think they're the first kind of Europeans to come across the water of the Mediterranean and find their way to, to Israel. But they've been battling the tribes that they're coming against, and they come against the Israelites several times, and they just keep winning. So the Philistines and the Israelites have already fought a number of battles. In fact, the Philistines have already taken the Ark of the Covenant from the people of Israel, and they've taken it back to their temple of their Dagon god. Their, that's actually his name, Dagon, is the god that they worship. He's made out of you know, wood and stone and that kind of a thing. And he's a merman. So it's, it's kind of, if you picture Jason Momoa in Aquaman, this is Dagon is where they got the idea for this. He's a merman because they've come across the sea and they worship this, this God that they've created in this temple and they put the ark in it. And it's a fascinating story in First Samuel chapter four, I think it is. So they've defeated the Israelites a couple times already. So the, the Israelites are already scared and they're battling against this new people that have landed in, in their land and the Philistines are better trained and they have better equipment and better armor and better weapons. And so the Israelites keep get, getting pushed back. They get pushed back to this critical valley, the Valley of Elah. And this is where Goliath keeps coming out. They're facing one another. And if they lose this battle, it's kind of open season on the rest of the land and the Philistines are just gonna roll through and take over the land. And in chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse four says this, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp his height was six cubits and a span, which is, is like nine feet or nine and a half feet. It's right in there, nine, nine feet. He's huge. We just had, I th well, one of the tallest NBA players ever drafted uh, was Wimbayano a few weeks ago. He's seven foot five or seven foot three and a half, put shoes on him, seven foot five. He's enormous. If you look at a picture of him with all, all other athletes, he just towers over them. Goliath's got like a foot and a half to two feet on him. He is a giant, literally. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of, of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds. That's 125 pounds. Uh, there are a number of you in the room right now who weigh roughly 125 pounds. So that's, just imagine you, who's in that range of 125 pounds, just basically being Velcroed to G Goliath's chest. And he's just walking around with, I mean, that, how big and strong he is to have a person that's 125 pounds just Velcroed on his chest and he's not encumbered by it at all. He's enormous. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and on bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was a weave, like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's a whole lot of shekels. It's 15 pounds. That's really heavy to be at the end of a, of a spear. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Dude is big. He's big and he's strong and there's no one else like him in the Israelite army. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
I would be too. Dismayed and, and terrified, fearful. I, uh, I went uh, cliff jumping with, with my boys and some friends a couple summers ago. And um, my experience now of being a dad of adult sons uh, is, is challenging. And every once in a while, I wish I could go back to being a dad of five-year-olds. Um, I, I have a, there's a different level of confidence that comes with that. Um, but standing up there with my, my boys and, and their friends and realizing I've got myself in a situation and I'm up on the top of the, the little cliff and I'm looking down at the water. And if you've ever done this before, my experience has always been once you get up there, it looks a whole lot higher than, than you thought. And then you've got uh, um, some loved ones around you that the whole prefrontal cortex thing isn't fully like wired and dialed and they're like doing flips and backflips and jumps and I've got to do this and like okay I'm looking over the end and um, I don't know if you have this experience or can relate but like for me it was like middle school when you get into an almost fight for the first time uh, and your, your knee starts to shake and you can't get it to stop and you're like I'm not scared and your knee starts to shake and you can't like I'm doing that in shorts trying to not let my knee shake and they're like hey jump go 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 and I remember saying, like, hold on a second, I'm very dismayed. And I, I'll, I'll get there, but I'm dismayed right now. Let me work through my dismay, and then I'm going to jump. Like, when we read this, there's a sense of they're, they're shaking in their boots. They, they are terrified. They do not want to go out and fight this giant who is, like, like, the, like he, Goliath has no fear. He sees the size of them. He knows his experience. He knows their recent battles. He's ready to conquer and to win and to move forward. He's giant, and they're, they're shaking, and they're hiding up on the hill on one side of this valley, and they're probably hiding behind trees and in tents still and just looking out and going like, there's, like, what do we, this, has been, this has gone on 39 days at this point. What, what, that's, that's what's like that, four weeks, five, five weeks and a few days. Like, this is over a month that they're in. The, like, what are they going to do? Like, there's, they're just in the, this is a habit at this point. They have a habit of being fearful and scared, and none of them want to go and fight. Goliath is described as, as a champion, and it's easy to picture him that way in the way that we use the word champion. He's going to defeat everyone else. There's this interesting meaning that's tied up in that word, though. The champion also translates as the man in the space in between. And so what we have is the Philistine army on one side and the Israelite army on the other side, and then there is the space in between. And Goliath has gone out on behalf of his own, whose whole army, he's gone out, and he stood there. And he said, will you send someone out on behalf of you, and, and we're going to fight, and we're going to actually determine this battle. This battle isn't going to be fought with everyone. One person is going to die. It's either going to be Goliath or whoever you send out. One of us is going to die, and then the other army is gonna be submissive to the other. One army will have defeated the other because one person defeated another person. He's a representative for their whole army and he's looking for an Israelite representative to represent them. He's the champion, he's the man in the space in between and no one is coming out to represent. And he's calling out, and here's the implication and, and maybe you haven't considered this before if you're familiar with this story. His call is to anyone to come out but every single person that could see or hear Goliath would have wondered, what is Saul doing? See, they didn't have a giant on their side, but they did have a guy that was taller than everybody else. They did have the leader. 
They did have the person that they had said, God, we want a human king. And God said, no, I don't want you to have a king. And they said, no, 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 we really want one. All these other tribes and peoples are following somebody at the front of the line. And we want to have somebody that we can look to and touch and see and make paintings of. And this guy, we want somebody, we want a human king that we can see so that we can follow. It would be so much easier. Give us, okay, gives him Saul. And Saul looked like a ruler and a king. He was taller than everyone else. And so he had been the king. And yet he was fearful, shaking in his tent. And Goliath knows his name. And all of the men in Saul's army are wondering, why isn't he the tallest, best fighter, biggest dude? Why isn't he going out and fighting for us? And you and I all know the answer that Saul knew, because he would lose, because he would be defeated. David is sent by his dad um, to go give his brothers food at the front lines. His brothers are scared, hiding on the top of the hill for 39 days. David comes out, and he gives them food, and he hears what Goliath is saying. And David is like, no, 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 no. This, this doesn't work. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not settling for this. this. This will not do. Who's going to go fight him? Big brother, are you going to go fight him? And he's like, shh, go back and take care of the sheep. David's like, no, I'm not. This isn't, somebody's got to go fight him. Are you going to fight him? Are you going to fight him? No. Okay, I'm going to go fight him. And they're like, well, yeah, because you've been used to dealing with sheep, and you come out here, and you think that you can just do this. And then Saul, you hear Saul's giving you uh, a whole bunch of money and his daughter, and you and your family don't have to have to pay taxes again. And so you want to be the hero and go out there and defeat Goliath, which you're not going to be able to do, David. So just shush and get to the back of the line. Word gets to Saul. Saul's like, whoa, we got our first volunteer. Sweet. Bring him in here. So they bring David in and says this. David says to Saul in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul's like, this is great. Saul replied, oh, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. The story looks a little bit different than maybe how we commonly retell it or see it depicted is that David is not a kid. There's a word here that, that we, we just read and heard as, as young, young man. You're a young man. And, and the word there that's translated as young man, get, get this. Try this on for size. That word can mean unborn baby boy or young unmarried captain in the army at like 25 years old. That one word can mean all those things. So it could mean that David was a boy. But all the other evidence that we have points to David probably being around 20 years old. 20 years old. Close to fully grown. I have two boys that are taller than me now. One of them is under 20. One of them is just over 20. Close to fully grown. 20 years old. Now, still got that, you know, prefrontal cortex thing that is still not quite worked out, still kind of fully developing. So still learning how to make decisions. This looks like a crazy decision, right? I'm going to go fight this guy. Saul says, no, 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 no. You're a young man, meaning you don't have the experience to go and do this. You've not been trained for this. You don't have experience. And, and David goes on and says this. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Not relevant, but thank you. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep to the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Okay, we're getting a little closer to like battle experience here. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. It's a pretty big claim by, by, David's, by David here. Hey, look, I've been a shepherd guy, not a shepherd boy. I've been a shepherd guy. I'm a young man. And I fought like a lion and, and like a bear. And uh, I probably got myself in a little too deep, um, but I do have some skill and I'm strong. And God, God gave me the victory against the lion and against the bear. Like, I think I can handle a, a guy. Tall, nine, nine feet, yeah, but, but I think I can handle this. And so Saul, you know, just spends some time in discernment and self-reflection. He journaled a little bit, and then he said, go, and the Lord be with you. We got a live one, go. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Not because it didn't fit, but he was not used to him, so he was going to try walking around in it. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. He took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five small, smooth stones from the streams, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. David didn't wear Saul's stuff because he wasn't used to it. He wasn't trained for battle. He didn't have experience on the battlefield against other humans. But he was not a young boy. He wasn't little. He actually would have been out there fighting, but he was the youngest of all of his brothers, and so he was kept at home. All of his other brothers, if, he, if David would have had a younger brother, younger than him, he would have already been out there on the battlefield fighting. But because he was the youngest, he was still at home. It wasn't because he was small. It wasn't because he was weak. It wasn't because he was not crafty or talented or anything like that. He just was inexperienced. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, here's another one, like, we often imagine this between a giant and a normal-sized guy, maybe. Maybe you've moved from a boy to a normal-sized young man. But there's actually three people out there. You got, you, got, you got Goliath with all of his stuff on and huge, and then he's got a guy in front of him carrying a shield. So he's got three weapons on him. He's got a javelin, a, a, a sword, and a spear. He's got three things on him, and he's, he's got a, a shield. He's got a dude just there to block arrows and stones and whatever projectiles might come at him with a shield. And if you've ever seen um, 300, the story of uh, the Spartans and Thermopylae against the Persian army, like those kind of shields, like he's holding that kind of shield in front of him. So Goliath is standing behind another guy, a third guy out on the battlefield, and they're advancing forward. He kept coming closer to David. He, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy. He was a young man, glowing with health and handsome. Kind of an odd note there, but there you go. Um, and he despised him. He said to David, and am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give you the flesh. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then, and then David, now he's, he's kind of only given his resume as fighting a, um, a lion and a bear, but he somewhere had to have experience with other guys because he's got, he's got like, very developed smack talk here, back to Goliath in the moment. Like this just comes right out of him. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Like you've got all this equipment, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You're in trouble, dude. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and I'll cut off your head. 
Like that's, that's creative, right? Like, that, like in the moment, like this is what I'm going to do. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. We're not going to be dying. You, you and your people are going to be dying. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know that it is not by sword or spear. It's not by weapons that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Last night, there was a, a big boxing match, and there was a big UFC match. And if you don't know um, what both of those are or care or know that they happen, that's totally fine. Um, it was largely men. I'm sure there were some women in the UFC event um, battering one another, and one person standing at the end is kind of how those things work. And in leading up to these, there's these little moments that, that they do for the camera kind of thing as they come face to face uh, and they basically like they get in each other's face and sometimes the guy will lean so far in and kind of like lightly head, but they want to get into a pushy match and then they're sometimes they're just sitting there and they're talking back and forth and you know, you don't kind of capture all that, but they're trying to intimidate one another. I watched the, the, the one before the boxing match a, a couple days ago um, and one guy said to the other guy, Hey, thanks for making this happen. Like, we are both going to get a ton of money. Thank you for doing this. And the other guy said, hey, man, you too. Thanks for making this happen. And they, like, shook hands. Meh, like, boring. Um, UFC, like, they, they get in each other's face and they, they spend. I've never heard any of those ever go, like, hey, my, my trainers and my team and my investors and my family are, are awesome and they're, they're going to win this fight. That's never happened. It's one guy saying, this is about me, and I have worked out, and I have trained, and I have sweated, and I have eaten the right thing, and ran as many miles, and lifted as much weights, and fought every kind of training I could do, in order, and I, I am going to defeat you. But David doesn't say that. David takes himself out of it for the most part. I mean, he's the mouthpiece there, but he's saying the, the battle is the Lord's. Like, Goliath, you don't even know what you just stepped into. This is not about me, and this is not about you. There's something bigger going on here. And because of the side you chose, you're, you're going to get wiped out, and all your people are going to get wiped out. So that's bad news for you, but good news for us. And the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to do this. I'm sure that made Goliath really confused and even more angry. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. It wasn't a slingshot, it was this weapon that shepherds would use and they used it in different kinds of battles and it was long and it was a big, big piece of rope doubled up and there was a pouch at the end of it and you put a good sized stone in it and he swung it and it got going so fast and he let go of one side of it and he'd done it thousands and thousands of times before and he knew how to aim it and he hit Goliath in the head and it had to look disgusting but a big old rock going very, very fast killed Goliath in that moment. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. It's not a, it's not a little boy going out, and if it was a boy, there certainly would have been somebody. His older brother would have picked him up, put him over his shoulder, and walked him back to dad. Saul would never have let a child go out in his armor. It's a young, what we might perceive as ambitious, slightly crazy, excited young man 
but excited for the right things, not to get himself a name, not to get himself prestige, but offended and fired up because his God had been defied, because his God's people were being threatened. He said, this will not stand. God does not want this. Who is going to step forward and step and become the man in the space in between against this other one? Because it's not about me or how experienced I am or how strong I am or how tall I am or how short I am. But God's up to something here. And I don't think what God is going to do is let the Philistine army come in and wipe us out. Because my God is a God who saves us. And so I'm going to go and say, God is better and bigger than your God. And David steps into that space. And he's victorious. And it's a crazy story because Goliath's really big and more experienced and better armed. If we were to tell the story again a third time, but in somebody else's voice, what we're, if we were to do something, uh, and, and this might sound overly simplistic, but what we're, if we were to put this story in the voice of Jesus? For us as a church, for, for Mosaic, we, we say that, that, that we exist to, to, to be and to make disciples, that we believe God wants to make disciples out of us. And one of the ways that we de- describe that is that we're, we're formed by God's word, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're sent by Jesus. And we say we're formed by God's word. We don't, we don't just mean the, the recounting of a story or the reading of some verses. We re- mean that, that God speaks to us through this, that as we seek to follow Jesus, that we learn to hear his voice and become attuned to what he is saying to us. If I can say it another way, that, that we listen for the Holy Spirit, of how the Holy Spirit is leading us. And to be formed by God's word is to be formed by the voice of one that we know in a personal relationship. And then if God is telling us this story again, and if it's the Holy Spirit who is, is speaking to our minds and our hearts both at the same time and saying, hey, hear this story again, there's a whole other layer. Because we've just looked at the historical account recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But if the Holy Spirit tells us this story again, if we were to sit with this and say, God, what is it that you want me to have for this? We don't just have the, the historical account of what happened. We have the, the part that goes before it and the part that comes after it. And if we, as followers of Jesus today, hear this story, we hear that before that that God has declared that he's going to make a people through which he's going to bless all people around the earth. And if we hear before, we're going to hear about a, a people that he is beginning to form who go their own way and say, we want our own king. God, we trust you. We love you. We know that you're a God who saves, but we want our own king. We want to do it our own way. We want a, we want a human man in front of us that we can, we can see and we can point to, that we can touch, that he's real, because everybody else has one of those, so we won't run. And then it goes horribly bad. But there's this moment in this valley where God shows up and saves through a young man, probably about 20 years old. And he, in the moment, looks like the hero. And over the next few chapters, we learn what a hero he is. And how great he is in battle going forward. But then in the same way that the tallest among them, that Saul did not step forward for his people, David does the exact same thing later on. He's a hero who later fails. That when he sends his army out to battle, he stays at home and hooks up with Bathsheba when he is supposed to be out at the front of the battlefield. And so in the moment in the Valley of Elah against Goliath, we have a wonderful hero, but he's flawed. And the story goes on even after that. That the God who saves is saving over and over and over again. But then ultimately, the thing that we all need saving from, the most powerful thing that we ever have to combat, sin and death. 
are defeated by Jesus himself. And Jesus shows up and says, of all the things to fear, and of all the things to fight against, and of all of the things that are way outsized of who you are, that you cannot compete with, that you cannot go to battle with on your own, I've defeated those things. I'm the one that has stepped out into the valley, into the space in between. I've been your representative. I've been your substitute so that you don't have to fight those. Because the truth is, is that each and every one of us have Goliaths in our life in some way. We can all think of something that is far outsized us, that is far bigger than us, that as many times as we've run up against it, we cannot overcome it, whether it be anxiety, whether it be addiction, whether it be shame, whether it be insecurity, whether it be loneliness, whether it be failure of any kind. We have run up against things that we cannot defeat on our own and that we try and try and try and try again. And we do that because we think we're the ones going out to the valley. You and I try on some armor, find something that fits, picks up what we feel comfortable with, and we head out on our own. And we turn around and hope to say, how did I do, God? Did I make it through? Did I defeat the giant? And Jesus has a completely different story to tell us, that whatever battle we're fighting, He's fought one that is bigger and harder and more intimidating and more fear-inducing. And because he's done that, and because he's conquered death and rose again, which is far harder to defeat than Goliath, Jesus says, I'm the one down in the valley. I'm the one who has given myself. I've laid down my life. I've given my life for you. And now, when you see what I've done for you, you can then stand and do what I'm calling you to. You can then stand and fight against those things, not because you have to fight it on your own, but because I've already defeated it for you. Goliath lost his head, literally. Like David chopped it off. That's, that's gross and violent and all that stuff, but it happened. S Satan, like Goliath, is defeated, but not dead, and still roaming and prowling and working. But he's a defeated foe. Revelation, the last book in the Bible, says that he's already defeated. But like a defeated foe, he's still dangerous. And we don't have to fight him on our own. Jesus has already defeated him. And so what he's asking of us is to not think that we have to go down and fight the giant by ourselves. In fact, there's a message of hope and grace in that, in that we can't. We can't do it on our own. We aren't meant to make it through this life on our own. Each and every one of us has tried. Maybe we're still trying. Maybe we're still not relying on Jesus. We're actually saying, no, 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 I think I can do it. I think I can get through this one on my own and then come around and say, God, look, look what I did. I made it on my own. Only the next time to find it around the next corner again. But this is a story in line of a lot of other stories where God is revealing his plan to save. And at no point along the way is it left to humans. Rather than being David in the story, if I can encourage each and every one of us to see ourselves as the soldiers whose knees are shaking and we're stuck back in the tent or behind a tree or standing on the edge of the hill, that the moment we realize that victory is ours, we move off of our heels where we're terrified and dismayed and we lean forward and we say, what is it that you're calling me to? I want to be a part of this because you're victorious and we know we live in a time and a place 
where there is defeat all around us. And it's hard to find out where is it that God's working. David did not use the weapons that everybody else had. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song, and it has the words in it that our weapons are praise and thanksgiving. You will not find a better weapon to serve God and to follow Jesus in this world, in this week, than praise and thanksgiving. Praise that acknowledges who God is in your moment and in my moment and in this time. To simply acknowledge, Jesus, this is what you have done and this is what you are doing. To praise him for who he is and thanksgiving. To be able to look back and go, this is all that you have done already. And so I can run down the hill and I can enter into the battle because it's not up to me. It's not on my shoulders. You're inviting me to join you in what you've already done. The victory is already his. Now, that does not make life easy or simple or smooth. But we know what happens in the end. We're going to continue to sing now in worship. And as you come, would you bring whatever it is that you have thought and believe, that you've believed the lie that you've had to fight on your own, that you have to do battle with this on your own, and not having Jesus fight in front of you, before you, above you, on all sides, and gone before you. And so as we come, we're going to sing, and would you come to one of these tables and take a little piece of bread, these little crackers representing Christ's body broken for us on the cross, and pick up a little cup of juice that represents his blood shed for us. Jesus, you have, you have fought the battle that we've run at and run at and run at, that we've experienced defeat at over and over and exhaustion and discouragement, and that we still fear. And so, Jesus, would you impress deeply on our hearts that you've freed us from having to do that ourselves, that you have conquered sin and death, not that they don't still intimidate us sometimes and we struggle, but that you have gone before us, that you are our substitute, you're our representative, and you, in the end, will make all things right. And so would you give us courage? Would you deepen and strengthen and broaden our faith? to know that you are with us and before us in every situation, in every challenge, in every struggle. And that you have paid the price and that you have called us forward to go where you're calling us and what you wanna do in and through us 